Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Bald Move Prestige podcast. This time we're talking about the 2005 Western romance Brokeback Mountain. It's directed by one Ang Lee, who I've enjoyed some of his work, in particular Life of Pi, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Uh, screenplay by Larry McMurtry and Diana Osana, who based that on the short story Brokeback Mountain by Annie Prolix. It stars the late, great Heath Ledger. Uh, you've seen him as the Joker. You've seen him as First Night. We just did a podcast on, on both of those. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, he of Nightcrawler, Donnie Darko, and Southpaw fame. Uh, Anne Hathaway, who also Batman alum, played Catwoman, Devil Wears Prada. We've done a few podcasts with her in it as well. And Michelle Williams, uh, who you might recognize from Synecdoche, New York, uh, Shutter Island, Manchester by the Sea. Honestly, has a bunch of great cameos uh, and supporting stars. Uh, Randy Quaid is in this movie uh, as the first time I've ever taken him seriously as an actor. <laughs> yep. Uh, the crazy man from Independence Day, National Lampoon's Vacation Series. Linda Card- uh, Cardellini mm-hmm. uh, from Freaks and Geeks, Mad Men. Anna Faris uh, from Lost in Translation, Scary Movies. Uh, Smiley Face. David Harbour. Comes out of nowhere, barreling in for a scene, right? Uh, uh, who we know as Sheriff Hopper and Stranger Things. Kate Mara um, is in this movie. Uh, I really the only thing I've seen a bald move related is House of Cards. And music by Gustavo Santo Sota. Oh, wow. I just realized I didn't have a handle on his last name. <laughs> Santolala. Santolaya. He is the you, you, if you've heard of his name, it's because he also is the composer for the soundtrack for both Last of Us video games and or because he won an Oscar for this. Yeah. Well, one of those two. <laughs> sure. Sure. Uh, but like I as soon as I saw that connection, I'm like, oh, of course, knowing the soundtrack of this movie. Yeah. Um, you know, I have been looking forward to seeing this film for a long while. This was like, you know, uh, universally praised, uh, won a shit ton of Oscars decent made a decent amount of money too for a kind of an art house film what did you think of this movie jim this movie i don't made think a you've seen it a load of money like calling a 10x on your budget more more than 10x this cost 14 million it made 178 that's that's really good um yeah like you i was familiar with the reputation of this movie as being you know one of extreme quality um and that it was very moving and all that stuff. And I kind of went into this movie with those expectations, expecting to be immediately gripped by the story uh, of these two men who fall in love and uh, to be sort of like taken away by the story. And I kind of was, but kind of not. I guess maybe my expectations were a little bit too high. Um, and I expected a little bit uh, the movie to show a little bit more of the passion in like its actual passionate form as opposed to sort of, you know, hinting around the edges at it because the movie does a lot of that. Um, it was tasteful. Um, oh, I don't even mean like gay sex. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about when I say passion. I mean like the, the feelings that these people had for each other. Like you get huh. drips and, and drabs of it, I think throughout the movie, right? Like, because there'll be entire chunks of the movie where they're going about their lives and just, doing the things that cowboys do raising families out outside of like their relationship that that stuff i guess i didn't see that part of the movie coming and it Mm. it didn't quite like suck me in the way i expected it to even though i could recognize holy shit the acting in this movie is incredible heath ledger is Mm -hmm. so good Mm -hmm. jake gyllenhaal you know as 
credited as the supporting actor here, which I think mm-hmm. is a little strange because I see them both as leads. Um, yeah. But, but you know, I, I recognize that it was a really good movie. It just wasn't bringing me in emotionally as much as I kind of expected it to by reputation. I expected it to be beautiful because that's kind of Ang Lee's movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I expected it to be kind of like very romantic in the sense of like the Anna Green Gables, like just heightened emotions, because that's usually what you get out of, um, you know, an Ang Lee film. I, I've liked Ang Lee for a long while. I uh, drove like four and a half hours to go see Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon when it was in limited release. I don't know. Did it ever get a wide release? I think it did. Um but like a lot of times I admire Ang Lee films more than I actually kind of like or love them with, with a couple exceptions like um, uh, Life of Pi. I really like that movie. Hmm. Um, and this movie, I think, is my new favorite Ang Lee film. Oh, yeah. Because for me. while it's beautiful and it's extremely well acted, we're going to talk about that, too. I, I did get kind of caught up in it. And yeah, it reminds okay. like these this Heath Ledger kind of living his life as a ghost because of the societal expectations and his own pressures that he puts on himself and his ideas of what he has to conform and what, and then, you know, like also very real danger about like living this, this lifestyle openly. Uh, mm-hmm. I related a lot to that. And I remember like when this movie came out, I was still like, you know, a practicing Jehovah's witness. Um, I didn't, I'd kind of like gotten disillusioned with the beliefs, but it's kind of in like, well, this isn't a bad way to live and all my friends and family are in here. So I'll just like keep going to the meetings and kind of pretend. And how hard will that be? Right. Like mm-hmm. a closeted witness, so like, like this is kind of like um, the cautionary tale of the like road less taken or the road not taken. Like, what if I had gone down that? And I can really, you know, empathize with Heath Ledger. Like, there's that scene where he breaks down and says, "I'm nobody and I'm nowhere. I'm mm-hmm. just like stuck in this liminal space where I can't ever get out of it because I can't embrace who I want to be." But I also, because I have tasted that, I can't go back to who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, I thought the, um, I, I thought there was a lot of passion. And like I said, I guess I was expecting because the way people were, you know, I was in a deeply, maybe it's, I, I just got this because I was in deeply fundamental uh, conservative religion. But like people were fucking scandalized by this movie. Like, look at the smut they're putting out. So I was expecting, you know, some pretty hot gay sex. And it was, like I said, tasteful, which, yeah, you yeah. know, like, I don't mind. I've seen hot gay sex and I've seen tastefully done. Uh, it doesn't matter either way to me. I guess I was surprised by the reputation, but that I think it's like yeah. kind of shows how far society's come. Like, like, why do we really care about all this? And and uh, but also like how close to like I was reading Roger Ebert's review, you know, great Roger Ebert, who brought it around to like Matthew uh is it matthew shepherd is the kid that got killed in nebraska in like 94 95 like that movie this movie is as close to that day as we are to Brokeback mountain true yeah um so like things have really changed a lot but i i i really really like this movie it's beautiful like just mm-hmm. little things like in the opening scenes where like heath ledger gets out and you see Brokeback for the first time and there's like this real tall grass and you know, it's, you only see this on the prairie, like like literally you can see that the, the you, you, you can you can see that the ocean is an atmosphere of air because of the way it moves through these tall grasses and stuff. And just the just a beautiful scenery, like the first 40 minutes is uh, indistinguishable from like the type of YouTube that I like watching, which is essentially a couple dudes going out and living in the woods. And, mm-hmm. you know, like traditionally on YouTube, they don't start having sex. Um, but 
I was just like, you know, in the, the terms of service. Sure. Yeah. They don't really like the, the <laughs> hardcore sex of, of, yeah. of uh, the homo or heterosexual variety. But I, I liked that. Like, it was a lot of just like, man, I'm jealous of these guys. Like, you know, yeah, I can see. And then maybe we can have a discussion about the relative merits of an outdoor life versus. But like, sometimes I do feel like, I don't know, I, I wasn't meant to be inside all day fucking long and maybe i wasn't be a mountain man it's fine maybe maybe i wasn't supposed to be out in the mountains all day either but like there is something to that like simplicity of you know you got your camp chores you got to watch these animals and and this was a kind of an exploitative um you know abusive workplace relationship this guy's mistreating these guys he's nickel and dime them they don't got good food they don't got good accumulate they're there illegally but like yeah i have questions about that but yeah, if you, you did that thing where like, um, you know, Jake was talking about the whole movie about, you know, finding some place that they could just do this like calf and cow operation. Like, God damn, how could you beat that? Mm-hmm. Um, and I also thought a lot about like, you know, um, towards the end of the movie, I was thinking a lot about like compuls- uh, the idea of compulsory uh, heterosexuality. The fact that like how many people miss out on like their own lives because they don't even consider options that they could have taken. And yeah, and, for sure. Uh, it, to, to me, yeah. like the, the middle of this movie kind of drags a little bit um, when they're just so separated and they see like each other once a year or something. Maybe I, I'm trying to like a, a figure out the time frames um, in this movie, but like the bookends of this movie, the first part of it is amazing. The end of it, I think, is amazing. Uh, can't say enough good about Heath Ledger's acting in this movie. And I did not to downplay Jake Gyllenhaal. He's also excellent, but. You know, Heath Ledger is the standout here. Uh, Yeah, the whole the whole thing, like from. I guess basically when they get back together to the end of the movie, that's all really, really good. Mm -hmm. Um, The the, the, I guess the second actor, like the the middle stretch um, that I feel like you maybe were a little listless to. I I still maintain my interest. And I, in fact, I was as I was aware of what was happening, like, my God, they're peeling years of time off. Yeah. And still finding a thread of this relationship and like knowing because that's the thing I've I, you know, I've I've done a little bit of da- amateur storytelling dabbling and a lot. I get stuck in these things like why well, mm-hmm. I kind of got this cool idea for a story. But like, Jesus Christ, how do you tell a story that spans 25 years and you check in with guys lives every three or four and you can tell by the kids and the clothes and the tent styles like the, the time has elapsed. But how do you keep that thread? Um and I just thought that the way this movie does it is is ingenious because I instantly like it's not like you get to fade to black three years later, fade mm-hmm. to white. It's just like a cut and you you just understand that like this guy's married now and yeah. now he's got two babies and now they look like they're in school um, and it just kind of flows effortlessly. Yeah, it kept me a little bit detached from like the, the passion, like I said, if mm. if this you know, relationship was super passionate. It seems like that middle part is the part where I just sort of go, you know, is this is, I don't know. I'm not sure how you tell that story in a more uh, visceral way to where I'm feeling the passion moment to moment because it is a story that spans a long time and necessarily has to be out of remove from that passion. Well, it's like when Jake is gone and like it's, it's four. They haven't seen each other for four years, I think, you know, mm-hmm. and they come back and they hug. But then instantly he like pulls him into the alley and they start making out. Like, I think that's yeah. what sells it. And I was like, 
Because I was like, well, hold, like, I was like, wondering if there will be some awkward kind of like, you know, dancing around if, with this was like a one time thing or, you know, like how much have they been pining for each other? And then when they just kind of go for it, I was kind of like, I got this kind of like elation. But then they add the other wrinkle of Michelle Williams seeing the whole thing. Yeah. And like that kind of becoming like that. That's the thing. It's like they always he always found a way to like even when the scene is just kind of like on a low boil or a, a simmer uh, when the movie like I still there's like things that kind of like made me gasp like that, for example. Um, yeah. And those moments are extremely well inserted into the movie. Like you you need there's a moment like when they part ways for the first time that, uh, you know, Heath Ledger kind of goes takes himself off to the side because it's so emotionally torturous for him Mm -hmm. you need that moment to sell any of the rest of the movie and and this movie is extremely well constructed in that regard like every time you need to see and understand something about these characters the the movie is there to to hold your hand through that Mm. and like say yeah this is you might not see it on the surface but that's because everybody in this movie is trying to hide that shit right it also relies on frankly star power like um they don't have any time to tell the story of how jake and ann hathaway get together (laughs) but what they do have time is have time for ann hathaway to ride by looking like a million dollars in a sequin outfit and wink at the camera and you're like yeah nobody's that gay and her dad and her dad's rich and like yeah, yeah like there, there kinda, certainly are people i mean but i, I take well, no, yeah i know like, i yeah. just I'm, I'm making an archer joke but like <laughs> right right yeah there's there's like that's you can see like why he would be like fuck it i'll try it with this i'll try it. and the same way with jake like when you see his home life um and how much he loves his girls and and uh, michelle williams is kind of a, a real sweetheart trying to make things work at this kind of like you know this bleak living conditions and substance ranching farming um yeah i i don't know i i I, they they rely on the fact that everyone is on the top of their game and can within a second you get what they're about and it's all about the costuming it's all about the hair and makeup and it's all about the the actor's performance and Heath, like you you said like yeah we're propping him up because you know he's not around anymore and and he's still like this big thing of potential and we just got done gushing about jake and the southpaw south southpaw podcast which will be coming out here pretty soon too but like he like i went from like when he first started talking i'm like i don't know about this accent this might be distracting three minutes later completely forgotten about that and by the time the movie ends he's such a real fucking character yeah that i almost forget that it's heath ledger it's it's a transformative performance from him and and he he does that in every role i've seen him in you know with this guy's exception things i the hate about you or whatever it's called yeah. or like first night he's kind of like i don't know but uh yeah but not first night i'm sorry um, uh night's tale night's yeah. tale um but but yeah he really swung for defenses and um he convincingly plays like this 19 year old guy who's never been in, in been love or maybe been too scared by his father to be in love and mm-hmm. two he plays this kind of like broken down what 50 year old man uh thereabouts like I said, that's this that's essentially condemned to live as a ghost in his own fucking life now. And I, I guess yeah, that's I, d- the... I don't want to like sell the movie, the storytelling too short because it's a it's an excellently constructed script. Like I said, I, th- I think there's a moment toward the end that really emphasizes how much this is about, you know, who it, it, how much this is about the love that uh, Jack has for Ennis as opposed to just like jack being gay and going for any dude right because david harbour i think in the end of this movie makes a pass at him 
Yeah. And he just doesn't say anything. He doesn't respond to it, right? Because that's not who he loves. So I think the movie does a really good job of telling you, like, with just the the story that these, you know, guy, that this is a, a, a love affair that these two guys have as opposed to just, like, a lot of other movies that would just be like, huh, they're gay, so they'll go for anybody, right, of the same sex, like. I thought that uh, Ebert did a really good job of calling that out in the in the review. He says, you know, people are calling this a gay cowboy film, which is like a cruel, like joke, like a like a, a trivialization of this of this movie. Yeah, but that's that's it what his reputation that, was. So one hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and I think that's like I, I do wonder though, like sometimes like how movies like this do shape the public perception because it's very hard to watch this movie and think. The I mean, the, the come away with the viewpoint, anything else than like the only crime that's committed here is the fact that these men were made to hide the truth about themselves to themselves, to each other, to society and all the pain to themselves and their loved ones that that caused that yeah. deception. And um, the murders, the murders are crimes, but <laughs> the murder. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, that's I guess that's the thing. It's like whether like I because I that's something to talk about, like the the final scene with Heath Ledger and finding a fate of his lover, like. Did that really happen? Was this him transposing? Yeah, you know, um, all good questions. Yeah, that we can that we can get to. But mm-hmm. uh, that's that's like I'm I'm thinking like you know like how much do you got to? I mean, and but that's that's the other thing. It's like also the people that probably need to see a movie like this don't don't seek it out. But like, how do you how do you go through this journey and think about like that the the again? There's nothing wrong with what these guys did except for they were born in a time and place where this just wasn't allowed. Like, not even to consider it. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's sad. That's sad. Like, think about how much human misery has been caused by just that, mm-hmm. and how much more. You know, it's like you know, if, if to the extent you want to say America is better, you know, there's a whole rest of the world out there. Um, and you know, like we we still got things to work on our own. Oh yeah. But I I I really like the movie. Uh, the performances, like we said, with, uh, and it's not just the voice work he does. Like, there's something. It's his physicality. Like he, he just like really embodies that Marlboro man where it's like just stoicism and no mm-hmm. reaction. Like he's got very like, I think Tom Hanks has more dialogue in fucking Castaway, uh, Castaway than Heath Ledger does <laughs> in the first 40 minutes of this film. They make it a point to point that out. Yeah. And he just does so much by just pulling so far back into himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the times where that breaks, that facade breaks is like, there's a couple points in this movie where like, does he really care that much one way or another? Or is Jake? Cause like I could, you always tell Jake's like got his heart on his sleeve. Yeah. Um, and like, is this like easy for him? Is it just about the sex? Is it just, but like when that dam finally breaks, it's really power, all the more powerful because it's been held up for the whole fucking movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it only does it like twice. Like, and, and what's it's, it's, it's interesting as a movie constructs it to where uh, Jake never sees him break down about himself. It's always like, you know, they have this fist fight. You know, and he's driving away and he's like, well, I guess we'll see you when I see you. And then as soon as he gets out of sight, he just has like a fucking massive panic attack, wave of sickness of perhaps the love of his life getting away. And yeah. it happens again. They kind of kick off the last the, the last act of the movie. Um, and it's yeah, I mean, shit, this movie got rained Oscars on for a goddamn reason. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the awards it did win? Let's do it. Uh, best director for Ang Lee. He won it. Uh, also best adapted screenplay and best original score. And I, I couldn't help but notice the score. Maybe we can talk about that a little here and then we can go on to what it didn't win. 
uh, I, I very much felt like it has a consistent tone throughout the entire movie, which is romantic wilderness music is the best way I can describe it. It's like a lot of like not not jangly. It's it's not jangly country uh, guitars like you think. It's more like serene country style guitarist uh, guitarisms. Um, hey, something you'd hear a guy noodling on the trail. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's got a serene and beautiful quality to it, and it kind of maintains that throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of a time when it doesn't, when it goes like darker or it goes. I think it does. There's definitely a couple notes of like triumph, um, or like playfulness in the first bit of their relationship, and then there was, um, I did think that there was a lot of melancholy, like especially the scene where he goes back to visit his parents, and like he's going through, and like yeah. oh. The part where he grabs, uh, finds out that like that shirt he lost on the mountain all those years ago is something that uh, um, that that Twitch is, is is kept for himself like that. I thought that's where the cut the because uh, I was kind of like, yeah, this is this. The soundtrack is fine. It's doing OK. But like when it hit that note, I'm like, yeah, I can't imagine this movie sounding like anything else. And all of this has worked up to this. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's great music. And they they use some contemporary music as well. Um, I think like Sweet oh. Melissa, the Almond Almond Brothers is in yeah, there. Yeah, what was that that one uh, sad country love song that Jake Gyllenhaal was uh, uh, listening to as he was driving away from? Because you know he, you know, I Heath Ledger got a divorce and he's thinking, oh, we can start start living our lives the way we want him to. And he's like, ah, I still got these girls and I still got to work and all. And he sends them packing and uh, he's listening to some Patsy Cline, Eternal Love kind of the the, the, the yeah, the really. That that really matched the mood and 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 something like I could say like you know what do they call that the uh, exogenic what's the the where it's coming oh you know? d- d- diegetic diegetic that- uh where yeah. the mu- the music's coming from a visible place in the rain like you just see like one of those things where it's like I feel everyone's had that experience where you just got your heart broke and you turn on the radio and they're playing the saddest fucking song and yeah. it just fucking kicks your ass like I I I felt like that's where those pieces were used and it was really effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, the shame I guess of the awards is that as good as Heath Ledger was he couldn't outdo Philip Seymour Hoffman in Capote which wow that's <sighs> pretty I mean man that's those are I, you know I've seen Capote we did a podcast on it and I remember being very impressed at like what a huge transformation Philip Seymour Hoffman who's got right. so much range he can be a lady killer in uh you know plausible like womanizer in uh, uh the, the the talented mr ripley and he can be truman capote mm-hmm. um yeah that's that's tough that's splitting some pretty fucking fine hairs there <laughs> it really is man i yeah like i like what you talked about that and the, the tragedy of heath ledger dying at that time is just like the, probably the most tragic hollywood death in my generation but then you got philip seymour hoffman there too well, his his career not cut yeah. as short, but like we got robbed of old man's if nothing else, old man Philip Seymour Hoffman. Do you know what the kind of crazy shit he would have gotten up to in his like his fifties, sixties, and seventies? Yeah, for sure. At least uh, we got like, like a prime of his ledger, I yeah. guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's sad. What I can only describe as like a play to get both of these guys Oscars. They d- label Jake Gyllenhaal as a best supporting actor. Oh, I want to talk this about year. this because I think that makes a lot of sense. This POV is entirely from Heath Ledger. 
but he's got to have two times it's true the time that jake does i think yeah yeah it's he's he's definitely like if you're you have to pick a lead ennis is the lead uh heath ledger is the lead but yeah he lost to george clooney and Suriana. Wow. Yeah, that seems like a nothing burger. <laughs> yeah, right. Siriana, yeah, I'll just that's that's uh she hear people still talk about that performance in hush tones. <laughs> they don't. Uh, uh best supporting actress was uh Michelle Williams. She got nominated, but she lost to Rachel Weiss in The Constant Gardener. I saw that movie. Yeah, sure. She certainly has a lot more uh screen time in that movie. That's the thing. Like there's the performance was strong, but like it's there is nothing. None of these women are in this movie for any fucking longer than they have to be. Absolutely right. have to be to serve the to hit their marks and, and deliver the emotional payload. And it's probably that's appropriate because it's not their story. I agree. It's not yeah. their love story. But like, yeah, I think if she had another 10 minutes of screen time, that would have been a, a, a tougher call. And the seventh and final nomination here was best cinematography, which was. Uh, actually Who taken by it? Memoirs of a Geisha. Huh. I mean, that's a beautiful film in a diff in 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 a different kind of way. Yeah. So I guess yeah, that's uh, they they they're both these are both gorgeous gorgeous films. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to go be more impressed by like the the great outdoors and how you frame it and things like that, and you know, like and there's also a lot of set design like. Uh, Jake's mom and dad's house like that white like everything just fucking whitewashed like that was a really cool visual look and the way they shoot things and the angles they get and like waiting for the right foreboding you know storm front to roll in over the mountains like I I, I prefer that but like yeah that's that's not that's not a tragedy travesty I guess no I haven't seen the movie but it's reputation precedes I will say this. I didn't know anything about this movie other than it was like a quote unquote gay. Uh, and I guess I was, yeah. I would, I did not, I was expecting that to be kind of like a coming of age film. And I thought that we were going to stay like on that endless summer and broke back for yes, a much larger chunk of the movie than we ended up. Like for sure. I was kind of, I was kind of like Heath Ledger when I found out the thing was being cut short. Um, I was like, what the fuck? I was borderline outraged. I was dismayed. I was disappointed. I like it. There's like two almost, you know, there's an hour and 45 minutes of this movie left. What's going on? There is, I, I guess that makes it a little bit more um, poignant. Um, the fact that like this love affair was all based on something that happened when they're so young. It was so short, um, but yet so real that they both held on to it for four years of various marriages and careers and not seeing each other, not sending a single letter, not a phone call. Um, yeah, that romantic. sounds like late teens or early twenties. Sure, I, I remember that time certainly. I also thought that that was um, it was going to be more of a seduction. Uh, that's the other thing yeah. that surprised me that like that there would be kind of like some passes and some like you know him and Han about it. But like when that that scene happened, like when you know it's because it's I you know it got cold and he's got too drunk and he's going to have to intent. I'm like, okay, this is how things are going to start. But like it just escalated really quickly and then, you know, um, became kind of like you said, this toward love affair. Do you do you think that they were sent home a month early because of the storms or because of uh, I gear whatever the guy, the boss and Randy Quaid, like being skeeved out by their relationship? I think it's the latter. I do. Um, And I'm not sure that they even lost as many sheep as he 
you know that the sheep loss was as bad as he claimed it was it didn't seem like yeah especially la- the year before had 25 percent sheep right? loss or whatever um yeah he, yeah he just seemed like he was uncomfortable with the idea of two gay men up on his mountain tending to his sheep yeah because like his uncle he went up there found for the first time and then he comes back and the uh, it, yeah it's like i don't think they lost any more than like the one sheep because i think they would have showed it if there was more and right. maybe like came away with some some bonus Chilean sheep, but this guy's making it like, oh, these are unacceptable counts, blah, blah, blah. Like, ah, fuck you. Yeah, I, I think the count would have been unacceptable had they not lost any sheep at that point, frankly. Yeah, I think I think I, I got the same. Because, like, there was that same energy when Jake came back the next year looking for work. Yeah. Where he was, like, trying to make it, like, all about dollars and cents and figures, and then finally he's like, nah, I just, yeah, it's not gonna have, not gonna have any Jolly Ranchers on my, my, uh, 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 mountain. Uh, he used a term uh, stemming the rose. I didn't know if I had never heard this term for getting it on before. Is uh, it particular to to uh, gay sex or? I, I don't know. I don't huh. know. I imagine it apply it applied to either sex. I would think. Um, but I, I don't know. I found that kind of funny. You know, in the horrible uh, way that that scene was going. Yeah, it's like it's uh, it was a well constructed phrase. It reminded me of like something that uh, they'd say on Tombstone, only you know horribly homophobic. Right, um, right. I also like I I just really again I want to come back to the fact that like how much I enjoyed the first bit of this movie where the guys are just chopping wood and they're doing camp because like I mean we we had a little bit of a, a vigorous discussion about which of the lifestyles we prefer because like I as I had on my notes is like I cannot believe we traded this in for an office at some point in our you know and I guess like cavemen probably like I can't believe you traded this in for like fucking agriculture but like <laughs> the fact that you've got like yeah just like the simplicity of it like uh you know you got to split wood and cook wood you got to split wood cook food uh, make sure you have shelter and then make sure the sheep are doing okay. And that's your job, man. No spreadsheets, no t- TPS reports, no time cards. Uh, you get your shit done. You can fuck, you can carve a horse. You can fuck your buddy. You can do, there's a, so much bonus, so much bonus time. Uh, I was really envious of that kind of the freedom of that lifestyle. And, and the, I don't know the wholesomeness of like, you know, working with their hands, with the land, seeing return for it. You know, the the sheep are getting bigger. They're having babies, all that stuff like that seems like it's really rewarding Um, on the flip side. uh, No air conditioning, no heating, uh, no indoor plumbing. uh, Bugs constantly up your ass. Uh, in the mountains. I don't know about that. I feel like you don't get it doesn't get buggy up there. That's the the saving grace. Bears. Always up your ass. Bears, bears up the ass is a bad. Is I know, a bad predators, scene. like I, I feel like the trade off has been totally warranted, and I would not trade <laughs> the office life that I have for an outdoor yeah. life because I can go get the outdoors if I want it. Yeah, you, you know that that's a luxury I have. Whereas trying to get the office when you don't have it is tough. Three or four months on a mountain, just just doing just watching sheep sounds like uh sounds pretty good especially if you can like provide for a family off that that time you know mm-hmm. um but uh, the one thing that's like is the like as i said because the beans the constant bean diet would get to me but i thought that was more <laughs> of uh you know randy quaid being a cheap bastard that that's too cheap oh, to provide yeah. spuds and powdered milk and it's just beans 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 than it was like that's just inherent to the job because it just seemed like this guy's an incredibly cheap guy 
if you if you could give me some elk meat and a few tortillas, I think I'd be in good shape with mm. the beans, constant beans. Yeah, the elk the elk look good. Um, uh, okay, okay, can you answer a question? I don't know anything about sheep herding. I know nothing about oh god fucking state parks or regulations or hunting mm-hmm. seasons or any of that stuff because I work in an office and I've never had to learn it. Why is what they were doing illegal? Because the movie makes a point to like kind of tell you, hey, you shouldn't be here with these sheep. And if you get caught, you know, keeping these sheep in this pasture up here, is it just because it's not his land? I think it's like this. Let's say I, I barely know any of this stuff, but like there's this Bureau of Land Management that allows like big sections of what the the Western states to be used as essentially, you know, pasture for cattle, sheep, etc. Okay. But you might not be able to camp there overnight or build a fire set. Like it's like a different kind of thing. You're supposed to like just let your cows there and right, but you're not supposed to like live there. I think it's like a, one of those deals where it's like, you know, you can run your animals, but this guy's the place he's running has a coyote problem, but you're not allowed to camp there. So how do they expect you to protect your animals then? They I don't. don't no like i don't that's what i'm saying like I, I know there's all kinds of disputes about water rights and pasture rights and things like that like you know like it's illegal to shoot a wolf but what do you do you know a gray wolf in certain places but what do you do if the gray wolf is fucking killing your your, your sheep like i think they're that's you know there's, there's a hmm. reason why why a lot of rural types hate the government because they're almost always trying to fuck with their livelihood um sometimes there's good reasons for that sometimes there's stupid right. shitty reasons for that so like i think that that's like you know, there's a lot of that in the movie, like um, how hard it is to be kind of like this middle class in certain areas of the country where it's like there are people who uh, feel that pinch between like their costs and their taxes and mm-hmm. the government squeezing them. And it feels like you can't get ahead, you know, yeah. um, but they just assume their problems are the same people as the, you know, like the, the billionaires on Wall Street. And they. Yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought that was there's some interesting little comments about that too about uh and then it's also interesting in in conjunction with like jake is the one bitching about that and he's talking to someone who's like truly pop poor yeah like just at the poverty line he's got no perspective yeah 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 like that's like and that's the thing it's like a lot of times you can shut the fuck uh, those people the fuck up when they start talking about it. it's like dude look at the three fucking dually trucks you got your 45 foot rv you've got six horses uh a six bed like shut yeah. the fuck up about barely making it you know they do uh, a great job just painting that picture with wardrobe like you can uh, see heath ledger's clothes haven't gotten much better right over the course a of bit thin, the yeah. 20 years or whatever whereas jake Hall shows up wearing brand new hat there's not a speck of dirt on it brand new coat like his truck is pristine and that fucking truck that heath ledger is driving oh my god they just don't make them like these they don't make trucks like these anymore that would no withstand the kind of abuse that he's putting on that truck and still sure. keep running for for 20 fucking long. years yeah no it's funny because you see like heath ledger's living in his like bombed out old trailer and then there's a couple times where we see that jake gyllenhaal is essentially living in the plains texas 1975 version of the henry hill house from goodfellas <laughs> sure <laughs> it's the exact same level of taste and sophistication it's just central plains yeah. texas instead of you know, fucking uh, crime syndicate, New Jersey. Um, but oh my god, that house! Mm-hmm. Uh, can we talk about that a little bit? Like the the bl- the purple velvet chairs, uh, the the 
the like cow skulls hung up on this like what it was it was <laughs> it was crazy how much it all was yeah um is is this the same house that they have thanksgiving dinner in because that was yes. one of the standout scenes to me is yeah, yeah, yeah. this the thanksgiving dinner where he, uh jack stands up to his father-in-law yeah, where his dad tries to, you know, emasculate him in his own home and he stands like, nope, this yeah. is my wife, my kid, my house. You're my guest. Shut the fuck up. Sit down. I'm going to carve the damn turkey. Yeah, that was a great scene. It is. Um, yeah. And I, all I can remember is like the TV. There's there's like this sunken area like you would think of a Mad Men style loft in New York. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get this, the sunken viewing area and the, this TV it built sort of into a console and. Yeah, it's it's gaudy. One of my other standout scenes, because that's something I kind of associate Ang Lee is like really interesting camera takes and like really beautiful kind of vacative shots. Uh, does any stand out in your mind? Because there's one in particular I want to talk about. Uh, the uh, one where. Uh, Ennis tells Jack that he's not going to be able to come back and see him for a while. And they, they're it's kind of like at the end of their stay with each other. And they're just by this river and you can see all the mountains in the background. Yeah, that that was one of them. I like the one where uh, Heath Ledger whips the biker's ass at the 4th of July. And like, <laughs> and you know, he's like framed by like the fireworks go off the second the violence begins. And like, it's like this forced perspective, but it makes Heath Ledger look like a fucking colossus. Like right. Dr. Manhattan striding over the battlefield of Vietnam or something. I it's thought that almost was... comical. It's like so... Like it's pressing really? the issue so much that it's almost funny to me. Yeah, I almost huh. laughed when I saw it because <laughs> I it was one of those gas where I'm just I can't like this is uh, like it it uh, is one of those things where it made me the same way like Michelle Williams just casually opened the door and her reaction to seeing mm-hmm. Jake and and Heath going at it like I I just thought it was just incredible. Yeah. Uh, but there are there are beautiful shots of nature all over this movie. What do you think about the scene where, you know, uh, Heath Ledger um, gets a postcard? Because that's one of the these guys communicate through postcards, set up all their fishing trips and so so forth. Um, he gets that one that's returned because he's deceased and he calls Anne Hathaway and she kind of tells him matter of factly that he had a flat. He's airing it up. The tire exploded this rim. And Heath Ledger hears this as, you know, he was victim of a uh, homophobic lynch mob. Mm hmm. I don't know that there's a way there's a sat, there's a way that you can conclusively answer the question of this, but do you have in your mind like which version of the reality is correct and which one is not? Yeah, um, I take what Ennis imagines to be uh, the truth. I, I think he was, you know, because the whole movie is building up to the blowback that they're going to get for Brokeback. <laughs> uh, he's saying like you can't go around doing this stuff i've seen people get killed like my father showed me this body when i was nine this guy did the exact same thing uh and yeah i think the movie is building to that reveal where he was not you know quote unquote careful enough um he, he was going over to mexico all the time he like started making passes at other people in bars and getting involved there maybe um sloppy yeah, he he just got sloppy with it and somebody found out. Got sloppy with who you love. Right. Um I you know, I cuz the the one thing that I I took it through the lens of that quote about uh 
you know, a, a coward dies a thousand deaths, a brave man dies but one. Mm-hmm. Like that this is something that Heath Ledger has been, you know, rightfully so. He got dragged out as like, what was a seven year old? He said, and like, look at this, look at this and what we did. And maybe even suspecting that his dad did that. Um, you know, this graphic vi- like of, of um, the, that you've got to hate the way you are, boy, that like, I thought maybe they're trying to say, cause that was something that, you know, over the years, over 20, 25 years, Jake's begging him to like, please, can we take a chance now? And he's like, you don't know. And what happens if, and, the fact that like he could just die from some random accident and that's nothing that the Heath Ledger never even considered that like the few precious moments he has, like what if those don't keep going, you know, um, mm-hmm. or the fact that like he did finally get beat to death and they've been denying themselves this thing that would make themselves so happy and it ended up happening anyway. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure which of those is, is the, the, the valid one, but I kind of, both of them are kind of kicking around in my mind. Yeah, it could go either way. I think um, it's the way that Anne Hathaway describes his death to me that kind of sells. Dude, yeah, that that she was, she's detached from the story she's telling. She's she's almost reciting a rehearsed speech to him. Right? Um, there's no emotion that she's giving off here, and you would think that there would be if she didn't like find out at some point that what was going on between them. And when she realizes, you know, it's Ennis and the guy he went fishing with and all that stuff, it's I think she's doing something with her performance that makes me think that what he's imagining actually did happen. I got two things to ask about the women in this movie. Um, Anne Hathaway, you mentioned her performance and kind of like um, it being a little cagey. Do you think that she knew that Ennis and uh, was it Jim? Jim Twist is his name. Jack. Jack, Jack Twist. Do you think that she knew that they were doing this on it or that was she putting this together in real time? Because I thought there was some some kind of awareness and like a like a, her being more interested yeah. in the phone conversation and a little bit more judgy at a certain point in it. And so, like, I was wondering if, you know, again, because I was thinking that 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 his mental thing was like a, a it, it, it was uh, just his worst. uh his worst fears coming to true. Yeah. But like, I I don't know. Cause like maybe I I kind of interpreted her as her doing the mental math and not having been, been privy to stuff like uh, Michelle Williams, that she was just now putting together like everything, the circumstances about what did, did you see that or feel that or what? Um, the vibe I got, and this is all headcanon stuff, right? Is that like when Jack was discovered, um, because he, you know, got sloppy, was going to Mexico, whatever he was doing over there. He got discovered, he got killed. And then that that rumor had to spread, right? The 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 knowledge of, you know, who Jack really was probably spread throughout the town. And she probably found out post uh po- posthumously that he was involved mm, in that. Maybe. And and then like so that would be like connecting the dots, right? Like she might not have known who he was involved with but it now was starting to all click when Ennis calls her yeah. I could totally see that being what happened because it's completely asymmetrical like they point out in the movie that like Jake always went up to see him in, in Oklahoma so like she never got to see them uh, the way that Michelle Williams did yeah. and I guess that's the other question I had is like why did Michelle Williams pull that out of Heath like they'd already been di- she'd, she'd known the right. whole time they'd already been divorced 
she knew within a with a mortal certainty what was going on. Mm-hmm. They seemed like they had, you know, she had remarried. The kids were happy. Heath was happy. He's not like you have to worry that he's going to go and have another gay cowboy relationship and scandalize the family. It didn't seem like he was interested in that. In fact, I don't think I don't think he yeah. has it within himself to start. Like, I don't think he's got like uh, what Jake had where he could go make passes of people in public. Yeah. Um, why did she do it? I don't really know. She just I need mean, to hear something. I wasn't crazy, and that this actually, but like, I feel like I don't know. Yeah, like, and it's been eating at her for a yeah. long time. I, I, I can understand why she did it. I don't know why she chose that moment to do it. Do you think his daughters knew? Because I, I felt like, uh, ooh, there was a little bit uh, with the Mara Rooney performance where, like, she kind of hinted around that maybe, yeah, with did. Alma Junior. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe I'd have to see it again to to try and figure out where that's the thing. It, and it's tough because, again, like uh, I can't say enough. Uh, this is aggressively the story of of um, Jake and Heath Ledger. It's the, yeah. the movie doesn't really concern itself with anybody else other than like if they if they introduce the daughter or a woman or something else, it's always in, in to how the men feel about their relationship with each other. I think it's pretty uh, subtly constructed. I don't I don't think it's like. You know, you, I think we were both surprised by the fact that we didn't spend more time on Brokeback Mountain early in the movie and seeing that relationship develop uh, for longer. But then it gets it gets way more subtle toward the end with like who knows what and who's hiding things and who are they hiding them from? And, you know, what are they what are they feeling about these relationships in any given moment? It's yeah, it gets very subtle and very complicated toward the end. As it should, right? As this relationship would. Yeah, I remember it out of context. Um, the the did you remember the line? I wish I could quit you. Like that became a meme back in two thousand five. And I remember like kind of like Jesus. That seems like such a cheesy fucking line. Mm-hmm. And it's it's you know there's like you know uh, as Ted Lasso pointed out in the last week's episode, there's no shortage of cheesy lines in heterosexual romance movies. But honestly, when I saw this in its full fucking context of like if he like debating about quitting his job and have to put food on his table and like being like, I know I can't quit like his response, like seeing it was it's not ridiculous at all. Yeah, it was uh, at, at that point in the movie, like you're completely gripped up in the emotions of it and him like, you know, I wish it was as simple like like, you know, I wish quitting you is as simple as like quitting a, a ranch job at the end of a summer or something. Right. Because God, if I knew how to do it, I would. And then that opened up Heath because up to the time like again I was thinking like is Jesus is this is this like a one-sided love affair mm-hmm. you know is this like a guy saying like oh sure I'll leave my wife baby it's, it's just but he's never going to but him opening up like that how this is completely tore his life open that he was you know it completely turned his life upside down and he doesn't have a way to get the 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 to move on yeah um god it's so so tragic uh yeah there's there's a line earlier in the movie that um Ennis tells Jack, he says, if you can't fix it, you got to stand it. And that movie stuck or that line stuck with me throughout this movie um, because that's really the crux of it, right? Like there will be things in your life and everybody's experienced things like this. You don't have to be a star-crossed gay lover to have experienced this emotion. Um, the, the idea that there's something that you desperately need in your life and you're unable to get it for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, you can't uh, fucking move somewhere you want to move or get the job you want or be with the person you want it's that has happened to just about everybody 
and that's like the main the biggest thrust of this movie that comes across to me is jack's feelings in this movie are not unrequited but unactionable right you can't there's nothing you can do about it but he also can't live with it it's like that that's a hard thing to just stand it right there's no reins on this thing do you think that like as I to some the concept I've been uh, become aware of because I've I've learned so much new shit in the last 15 16 years uh, from where I lived my life before but like you know I I, I read a lot of uh, uh, thought that like bisexuals have and, and non-binary folks asexuals have um, and there's this concept of of like compulsory especially in like uh, I guess lesbian circles compulsory heterosexuality whether you get in the an environment you get in a culture where like you're kind of told that like sexual pleasure and desire really isn't something that like women kind of do or feel or experience or certainly not in the same way of men. And that like everyone just pairs off male, female, that it doesn't even occur to some young lesbians that like, Oh God, I actually do like girls. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't like men sexually because I guess, you know, why would I, why would I, my mom didn't like my ma- my dad sexually and she only did, you know, had sex for the purposes of procreation, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that like, I, I feel like it it must happen a lot with guys too, mm-hmm. though that like you you're only in your own head and like you always hear about the temptations of you know like like you could be tempted into being gay. Mm-hmm. So like well maybe this is something everybody feels and it's something that they don't even consider. Um, and I think if like you know I I don't know because like right now we're in this low nadir for like people's communities like between social media and our jobs and the way we've structured our cities and public places there's just not a lot like like. Sky high loneliness is what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, people getting into relationships later, um, you know, moving out later, all this kind of stuff. Um, I wonder if like in 50 to 100 years, like the idea that you might have because that's another thing I've I've heard like uh, bis- bisexual people talk about the fact that they might um, be sexually interested in someone, but romantically they're straight like they're sexually bisexual, but romantically they're straight. Or I've heard other ones say that like. Hmm. I can only I can really only fall in love with another man. I'm 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 romantically gay, but I'm sexually bisexual. Um, and I've I've been thinking about this in my own life a lot. Like, am I straight, or am I only do I or do do I just not think that like a guy like Jake Gyllenhaal is in my league? Like, would <laughs> I like if, like huh. like like if I was 19 years old and broke back mountain the peak of my life and I've got this, this young strong body like. Am, am I like super 100% straight or is this like, is this compulsory? Like I would never even consider forming well, I, a sexual relationship with a good buddy of mine, a friend of mine. I don't know how to tell you, but there are, there are less attractive men than Jake Gyllenhaal in the world. <laughs> if, if yeah, like but out of I, your I, league I don't is the problem. Him. I don't want to fuck him. Okay. okay. All right. <laughs> I see, well, I see what you're like, saying. Maybe I'd be gay if hot guys would be willing to have sex with me, but I'm not right. like the, 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 the pool, like, like I could get a fellow bear, but I'm not attracted to guys like me if I'm attracted to get, but I've been thinking about that. Like if, if, and, and so far it hasn't really gotten, like I, sometimes I think about like, I want to be like to have sex with Chris Hemsworth and it doesn't really get past the giggle phase, but like yeah. also I grew up in like a really repressed So like, I'm right. what I'm saying is like in the future, do you think there will have like like uh, there'll be stories of teenagers? I, I can't believe there hasn't been a movie this already where like guys are playing like Super Mario Brothers Melee on the couch and then find out they just start sucking each other's dicks mm-hmm. because why not? 
why not? Like if society like loosens up to the point where like this is like fine to experiment, like why wouldn't more men and women like turn to their buddies for sex relationships like that? Yeah. Um, I don't know. As somebody who thinks he's straight, uh, I, I, I can feel a difference, you know, between when I look at a really attractive woman versus a really attractive man. Uh, it, it just doesn't do the same things to me emotionally. Um, or, you know, like chemically, I guess. Uh, so, so I don't know that like experimenting with that would do much for me, but I'm sure that I'm not like, I know I'm not the only position on that. I'm sure there are people who probably like, yeah, do feel sexually different than they feel emotionally. Yeah. It's just weird because it's like, how would you know? Because like, um, again, with this compulsive, like if you, um, you know, I've definitely been in times in my life where like there was opportunities open to me that I didn't conceive because I didn't think of myself of like, you know, I, you asked me 25, would I ever be a podcaster or make a living talking about homosexual cowboy movies on the internet? I'd be like, get the (laughs) fuck out of here. There's no way, not me, but look at me now. You know, like, what if things are broken a bit different? What if things, you know, um, which John Wayne movie are we going to cover next week? (laughs) (laughs) Which butch masculine? Yeah, I I, I don't don't know. It's just one thing I've been thinking about, like, you know, like how um, because you're right. Like, I think that uh, it isn't like I'm white knuckling heterosexuality, um, you know, like, oh, my God. But it is probably people who definitely are, I would think. Sure. And there's all kinds of degrees. And like, as I'm saying, it's like, you know, who knows? Like if, if I, uh, if, if, um, uh, uh Chris Hemsworth day, I don't know. I always, I, I, I keep coming back to him. Someone that's larger, stronger, make me feel small. I mean, get on Twitter, uh, make, make, a <laughs> at least let, let him know. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, I can't take that kind of rejection. Uh, okay, fair. anyway, it's just something that's, I, I've, I've had these conversations with a couple of my male friends, like rethinking about like, you know, cause they, yeah, usually I don't think people do like what, how, how like straight or, or whatever, uh, am I, what does I that mean, even I, mean? I think it's a pretty new phenomenon, certainly like outside of my generation to think of sexuality as a spectrum. Um, mm-hmm. It used to be like you either fuck dudes and you're gay or you fuck women and you're straight, right? Yeah. Uh, and it, at this point, I think that has seriously been debunked and we're trying to recontextualize all that. So, yeah, I think it's changing. Yeah, and I, I, I've seen so much crazy stuff happen. Like uh, one of my favorite cartoonists is a lesbian who ended up marrying a guy from England um, because that's who she ended up falling in love with. Um, okay. And like, there's, I've seen other things, um, you know, guys like where they get to a certain age and they realize, I guess I am a little bit, or I'm more bisexual or, you know, like I'm mm-hmm. like, uh, and I can, I guess that's the thing is I, I, I can understand being attracted to hot people, um, yeah. whether that's ma- male or female. And if you're in a situation like you're up on Brokeback Mountain, you're 19 and you're horny, um, because that's, I guess that's one of the other questions I had is like, are, would you call these guys in 2021? gay um are they mostly gay but hetero or hetero flexible are they bisexual because like some of those relationships um felt like they were not something they did out of a a have to like some of the sex that he was having with michelle williams didn't seem like it was or like uh jake mentioned that he was kind of like uh catting around with a a female rancher in texas although maybe that's a euphemism um even this like gay cowboy movie what i'm getting at is maybe the, even this quote-unquote gay cowboy movie i thought was a lot more textured yes. and and uh uh, 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 uh spectrum than i was yeah expecting. I- i've seen movies where like the the leads are just closeted gay men 
and that's exactly right. what they are and yeah. the movie is very different from this this is much more subtle like especially yeah. that the jack stuff um mm-hmm. him having women in other towns is is a weird thing if he were just a gay man um, right because what does he need he, does, he doesn't need cover anymore he's got it in his wife so like yeah it's it is definitely more nuanced than that I've heard a lot of people talk about how they they are attracted to individuals. It's not about the gender right. at all. It's like a vibe or a um, a personality type, um, a certain type mm-hmm. of like sexual adventure or whatever. Then then the actual configurations that people come with. It, along those lines, <laughs> anyway. what do you think it is about Ennis that attracted Jack in the first place to him? Because it seemed boy, like it was he just... doesn't say much. He doesn't do much. He's just a matter of fact, no nonsense kind of guy. It seems like it's the same thing that gets a lot of people, just the old fashioned lust. Like he takes this, gets a load of this tall drink so. of water. He's like looking at him in the mirror. He's like, it's like suddenly he's like yeah. shaving because like, oh, I got to spiff myself up. And there's also like a, there's a great scene. There's another Ang Lee scene where they're showing Jake conspicuously not looking at Jake Gyllenhaal, like, like naked, just right. Like, you know, it's like uh, you, you, your natural inclination is to try to steal a glance. I kept expecting the movie to, you know, have his eyes dart over just slightly. It just goes to show like even the guy who is relatively open enough to where his dad, it was like an open secret with his parents that he was gay. Right. Yeah. yeah, Like he's a lot more open and a lot more honest about with himself and and maybe others about his, his life uh, about who he's attracted to. Even he is buttoned up enough that he's not going to like put himself like, I've just known this guy for a day or two. I'm not going to like, you know, like we're, we're, you know, two months in, like it was a, in August where they pulled the contract and it seemed like only a week or two before then that they'd started having a sexual relationship. I just feel like it was like just so cautious. And even like the first time you have sex that how fucked up is it? You got to deny it. Like, Hey, that, that's just a one-time thing. And I just want you to know that I ain't queer on me either, man. Last mm-hmm. far, farthest thing. Like that's such a, like a, a stereotype. I've, I've heard that like yeah. kind of thing. Like these guys who are aggressively gay, but it's important to them to not be thought of as as that way. Mm. You know, uh, they're just I, I'm not gay. I just get down on my buddy, man. You know? Yeah. I, I love that scene um, where, you know, Heath is undressed in the background. It's a close up of Jake Gyllenhaal. And he's smoking his cigarette, right? The cigarette's just yeah. hanging out of his mouth. And it's yep. like a 30 second shot. The, the yeah. restraint that the movie shows there in showing the restraint that Jake Gyllenhaal is displaying <laughs> as a character is remarkable. Like that's that's I, the first shot where I like. I sat up and paid attention to the movie because it didn't, I, it didn't do, it refused to do the thing that right. That you kind of expect it to do, but it did it for a hell of a good reason. Yeah. It made me feel like that feeling you get when you're a guy and you're talking to a woman who has amazing breasts and she's showing them up at like, you can <laughs> feel like the gravitational pull, but like, I'm not going to do it because I'm not that guy. And yeah. I want to make this, but like it's like, like I'm never you, aware of where my eyes are really going until that situation until occurs. I'm and trying I'm not to laser look at, yeah. fucking focus on where my eyes are. Right. Yeah. Like this is the most interesting cigarette he's ever smoked uh-huh. in his whole fucking life. And I couldn't. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 another one of those great uh, scenes. And, and it works, like you said, precisely because it goes on for for so long. Yeah. Uh, well, I've, I've pretty much talked everything out. I want to talk about this movie. Do you got anything else that you want to kind of go in on? Uh, yeah. One other thing. What do you think of the aging that they did to these characters? Because this <sighs> takes place, as you mentioned, over like 30 years, 20 plus years. I thought it worked really well. I thought there was one scene where I could see kind of like the latex. Um, Which one? Because I agree. 
it's the one I think towards the end of the movie where he's in the trailer with Mara Rooney. Mara Rooney. <laughs> Kate Mara, yeah. Kate Mara. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Uh yes. Yes, that was the same one that stood out to me. And, and it wasn't bad because like they went with no. more like these guys like have like weather beaten, sun beaten faces than they're really like getting like Tommy Lee Jones craggy. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, it was like a, always like a, and they did a lot with like hair and makeup and costuming because like a lot of Heath Ledger's aging. But it also like, you know, in, in terms of like taking my breath away when they smash cut from him as an old man. Well, I guess a 50 year old man, whatever, back to him being 19. Mm-hmm. And it really showed me how good the aging makeup was because yeah. it was so subtle. Like every five minutes he, and a couple of years go by. But like, I forgot how young they were at the beginning of this film. Yeah. For um, sure. So, yeah, other than that, I thought I thought it was pretty, pretty good. Okay. It wasn't distracting at all. Yeah, I totally agree. All right. Well, I know people have been waiting for 16 years for two uh, mostly straight guys opinions on this. This movie, it turns out. Uh, uh, I really enjoyed it. I guess as I said, it's my it's taken over Life of Pi being my new favorite Ang Lee film. Um, and uh, if you haven't seen it, it's uh, there's it's just a really great love story, a tragic love story. Yeah. Uh, multiple tragic love stories nested. I mean, we didn't even get a chance to talk about the Linda Cardinelli stuff, uh, the David Harbor stuff, but mm-hmm. I think those were more. Yeah, that's I guess that's the one maybe criticism I have is that I don't know why we needed to do like a third variation of a failed a heterosexual love with him. Yeah. Um, but they, I felt like they used that time to kind of like go and tell the Jake cause that, that period is that's where we saw Jake stand up to his father-in-law. Like they, they feel that they use that kind of like period. They like, they got to cut back to the main character. So maybe that's what it was, but that's, that's the only thing I found a little bit flabby from a script standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, but a great film looks great. Sounds great performances off the charts uh, is a good time. I'm glad we got a chance to see it. Yeah. Who knows what prestige uh, this glaring hole in our prestige film uh, library watching will fill next. Uh, you'll have to tune in next week to find out uh, because we'll be get back with another prestige film until that time. I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. See you later. <laughs>